Ladies and gentlemen, boys and pinoys, we are back once again, locked and loaded. We are on like Voltron with Mr. Danny Plum. What what? What up? What up? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Danny Plum is right now. Are you right now currently streaming on Amazon uh, with Laugh After Dark? Friday. Friday. So, yes. Well, what's the date? What what date uh, is it? August second. Uh, August second. So you'll you'll already be streaming by yeah. the time this is airing because it's gonna drop like a uh, Netflix style. So all the episodes will be all available, and I'm on episode five. So yeah, it'll be it'll be live Friday. So right now, as you are listening to this, if you want, you can turn on your Amazon streaming service and go on Laugh After Dark, and you can hook it up and click episode five, and this is the story of that <laughs> man. Crazy funny Asians, crazy funny Asian story. Danny Plum, yeah. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Um, Thanks for having me, man. Um, I'm excited to have you on the show because it's a, it's a, it's an exciting time for you, man. It, I mean, like to have your first yeah first TV streaming. Like, how many minutes was your is your is your set? Uh, it was it was ten minutes. They gave us ten minutes. Um, tight and yeah, it was exciting, man. My first kind of TV, you know, stand up credit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, man, all the work we Girl, put in. Uh, man, right? I know, I know, <laughs> I know. To finally have it, you know, available to showcase it, and it was dope, man. So I'm excited. Uh, I hope people enjoy it. Uh, you know, it was a good, solid ten minutes of. This hot cat is funny. Fire. This cat is. <laughs> Comedy Fire. He's going to probably headline the next Crazy Funny Asians. Uh, hey. I'm just putting it out there right now. Let's I mean, do cause, it, Because we do a live show in L.A. where we bring the, the best stand-up comics, all the Asian, American, and Pacific Islander comics out from L.A. or from wherever and book them for a show. And Danny is going to be one of the next headlines. I know it already because I've been, we're, we're looking for a space for the new show. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. And, and as soon as it goes up, you know you'll be. You know you're on. Uh-huh, I mean, man. this cat has done Miscellaneous Brown Karaoke Comedy Spectacular, what, twice or three times? Uh, twice now, and I love it, man. It is so fun. If you guys haven't been, it's literally one of the funnest shows that I've performed on. Uh, he makes you sing at the end of the show, and if you can't sing, it's even better because the audience loves it. And, uh, no, it's dope, man. One of my favorite shows to perform on. <laughs> Although Danny can sing. He's like, he's like those, those... I'm like, I'm like a good two minutes. Like, you got a good, like, voice for two minutes and the rest is shit. <laughs> Danny, Danny and I, I mean, truth be told, we, we're gonna start a, uh, a K-pop band together. I oh, think. there you go. I think we could both dye our hair lavender. We, we call it, uh, dark skin K-pop. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> Miscellaneous brown K-pop. Only because we auditioned for like five times for the real K-pop bands, and they they rejected us. We're just we're just too dark. We're too dark. <laughs> like, what, you live in the sun. Like no, but you know, actually speaking of young, being young, and 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 how you started out. I mean, I did actually start out singing in boy bands. No way. I did for real. What? Yeah, that was my gig. I was starting out uh, sang in a in a band called Word for Word. Shut up. Yeah, and then and then got hooked on the you know wait, being on stage. Wait, what kind of music was R and B? R and B smoothed out R and B ninety style where you have to reach out to the audience and you sing in the rain and shit. Jesus, yeah, no wonder you have three kids. <laughs> <laughs> I have two kids. Oh, two, two kids. kids. Okay, my two bad, kids. My bad. But yeah, third one on the way though. <laughs> no, I am third one on the way, man. I, I, I I'm I'm cool with two. Mm. You have two kids too, right? Yeah, two boys myself. Yeah, man, it's, it comedy is comedy is hard. It's can't, can't comedy is hard with kids. Oh 
God. It's a struggle because the, the, the schedule is so crazy. The schedule is crazy. You know, we're performing at night. You know, we write during the day. So it can get just, you know, because you got priorities, right? Especially if we got to, you know, you got to balance it. It's just a balancing act. You know, it's like, you know, activities, school, and it's like registrations and shit that you don't even think of if you don't have kids. Man, I got, I had to do, I had to drop my kid off at art days for her theater camp first, my oldest kid. Then I had swimming lessons and then I had to come meet with you at the house. Wow. And then right after this, we about to go to day daycare for my, from, from my, and then I got to go to work. <laughs> so yeah, no dude, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy thing. And, and, and then try to juggle all of it yeah. is, is, is a struggle for sure. But you know, that's what we got to do. That's what you got to do, man. This is what we signed up for. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask you like, how did you get into this game? Like how, how, what made you like, how did you start out? Like, tell me your story, man. Cause we, we know each other from stand up, but yeah. we don't really, I don't really know your, your personal story. Like, let, 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 let me, right. let, tell me, tell me <laughs> the story of Danny Plum. <laughs> I'm going to let so many people down. It's not that crazy. Like, yeah. it's, no. Okay. So uh, the story was like, I was like most people working, you know, like dead end jobs. I was, I wouldn't say dead end. I was like a, in mortgage for a little bit, you know, and doing finance and, I did that for like four years, dude, and I hated it. Mm-hmm. You know, every single day I was just like, just mad. You know, going into work, coming home. I don't have energy for the kids. You know, and you know the wife. So your is, kids are already born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, How old are your kids? Uh, five and seven. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So they like five years ago, you know, or even six years ago, we were living in Sacramento at the time. We just moved from Seattle, and. You know, because we had our first kid, so we had to move closer to family. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I just started working, dude. And it's just like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was I was kind of late in the game, mm-hmm. right? I was going through, you know, like everyone just trying to figure out what my passion was or whatever it was. And, and my wife, Leah, she kind of, she knew that I've always wanted to like, I was curious about just the whole acting and the comedy thing. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know where to start, you know, and you look up online, it's like, Oh, it's either improv or it's, you know, stand up. And it's like improv was like $500 like a session or a class. I was like, I can't do that. Bro, it's expensive. Yeah. Like and 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 it's funny because it's like it's like Harvard or you know, or a college, right? Yeah. You you need this like stamp on your resume For to, sure. to to say that you're funny and it really at the end of the day it's not that. No. You know, it sucks that that, that people sell that to you as far as like and, and, and no knock on the class structure yeah. and the improv structure at all it's just it, it's it's priced out for, for a lot of folks it's almost like you know if, i mean no no knock on it if you right. can afford it yeah, yeah do your I, thing I think it's great you know and i would love to have done it i just my route was different like i, I didn't do stand-up until like my wife pushed me like i had written some jokes mm-hmm. but my wife was like you got to just go and like Cause she knew how depressed I was in a way. Oh no, yeah, you know, bro, just I not feel knowing you. what you want to do. I've done sports, I've done all this shit, and I'm like, I just don't. I'm not fulfilled, yeah. you know. And the moment um, she finally pushed me to do it was in Sacramento. My first club was the it was an open mic at Laughs Unlimited in Sacramento. Yes. And I wrote like five minutes, put it on paper, terrible jokes. I went up, and she drove me there. She pushed me out of the car, and I just. Did it, bro? Shaking and everything. It actually wasn't that bad. I mean, well. Now wait. Let me ask you this. Yeah. 
you were straight cold, never been on stage before, and then jumped on an open I mic. I just jumped on it, bro. That's I just awesome. Said, I was scared as shit. That's brave as hell. Bro, you don't even know, like, and it was a full night. There were, like, at least 30 people there. There was, like, maybe half comics, half people they brought. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was a big crowd, you know, in a sense, for your first time. Oh, no, yeah, that's a yeah. big crowd. So I go up, I do my five, and I just, dude, never left. It was, like, the thrill of just one people laughing, the thrill of me being nervous as fuck, but still being up there, you know, and also a little buzz from the two beers I had. Sure. Which I chugged. <laughs> you know, you know, I didn't sip it slowly. I chugged that shit and went in. And so, you know, I went up, did it, and then, bro, I did, like, five open mics after that. Just around town, there was a Sac comedy spot. There was this little cafe, and then there was Laughs Unlimited. There was only three clubs out there in Sac. Mm-hmm. And the fifth open mic I did... Uh, I forget her name, but she was, I think it was Cheryl. She messaged me on Facebook. She, or no, no, she didn't message me. She saw me at a mic at the SAC comedy spot and was like, hey, uh, I'd love to have you on my showcase at the club, the first club I did the open mic at, mm-hmm. to perform an actual 10 minute set. Yes. Mind you, I have no 10 minutes. Sure. Okay? Yeah, I know. So I'm like, oh God, this is terrible. But I was so excited that I told myself I wasn't going to do anything crazy until like somebody paid me. To be on a show. Sure. You know? And so my fifth time going up, they invite me over to do the showcase. I do the showcase. This, this was like 70 people. The club was packed. Sure. And I bombed tremendously. Yeah. I ate the biggest shit. Sure. But everyone was like, nothing. I had a heckler the whole time, just like, ha, ha, after every joke because it was so quiet. Oh. And, and, and I didn't know how to react to it. Yeah, you know, I'm just kind of. Oh, man. Because if you don't know how to, if you've right, never been, yeah. I'm just trying to memorize my set. Yeah. You know, that's all I could think about at the time. Yeah. This is my sixth time going up. Because you lose it, you lose it, you lose yeah. it. Like you get thrown at something. I'm like can... ignoring it, trying to continue with the bit, and everyone could see that. Oh, it was awful. So I, I bomb, I get off stage, and I said, you know what, bro? If If I don't go to LA, or find a way to get out there because I'm not going to be better. I, at that moment, made me realize I got to get stronger. And not saying that Sacramento, they'll have like funny comics, but no. I feel like LA is where it's at. Right. Or, or New York, right? So, right. Well, you, you, if you want to play basketball, you got to go to the place where they play in basketball. For real. Right? For real. Yeah. So that's kind of it. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, Sacramento packed up, found a job down here, and they like moved my, me, me and my whole family. Dude, I, my story is crazy. I, like, I made up, uh, hopefully, like, my old bosses don't listen to this, but I made up this. Hey, man, look, <laughs> I hope your, your old bosses do listen to this, and then they regret it. <laughs> they, so I made up this, like, I, I was like, how am I going to get to L.A.? You know, so I had to finagle, like, my resume. I made, like, uh, like I was a manager, and, like, I, I updated everything to make it. I did, like... I watched like videos on like every because I needed money to get down there, and so I made this resume up, got this interview, got this company, this like startup company to pay for me and my family to move and relocate all the way to LA, and I was like, no one believed me. Like my in-laws didn't believe me. They were like, they were pissed off. They were like, there's no way you're gonna get to LA and have people pay you to get down there. I was like, oh yeah, just watch, and I did it. You figured it out. Figured it out. Got out here and just started hitting the mics, man. And that's how I ended up in L.A. I literally, like, I slept in my car, actually, for two months before I moved the family down. Because I had to, like, 24-hour fitness with my best friend because I showered there. Like, 
at least every day. Well, yeah, every day. Cause, but it was nasty as fuck. So I don't recommend it. But if you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do to get down here. You know. Yeah. No. Nah, so, hey, that's why I work at Equinox. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? got free membership at Equinox with my with my front desk job. That's why you're so in shape, bro. Bro, no, look, <laughs> I I have to. That 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 right there is shows me. Like, cause that that was me when my when I first moved here to LA. Yeah, I was sleeping on an air mattress. I scouted out LA for the first four months. Right, right. Before my wife, cause my wife was trying to sell our condo. We had we didn't have kids yet when I moved. Oh, okay. And both my daughters were married here. I'm married. Both my daughters were born here. Yeah. I'm, I almost want to edit that out of the. Con- <laughs> my daughters are not married. They are eight eight years old and five years old. That'd be a little no, weird. <laughs> no, but, but my, no, my daughters were both born yeah. in Cali, so they're both California girls. And it's a trip, you know, to think about the difference of how their life is going to be here in California as opposed to my life in Chicago. And and then also, like, because I came up through the, not through the improv system, but yeah, yeah. kind of. I grew up in, in that, um, in Chicago, but I did it, I, I couldn't pay it either. Yeah. And I had to do the intern thing. So I would work the box office or I would sweep the floors or I would get the ice and put the ice and be a bar hand or right, right. whatever. Or sometimes, I, luckily enough, I was able to stage manage some of the shows where sure. I would learn and listen to the director. So it, it, all of it was, it was all good. Yeah. But at the same time, like comedy is one of those things where it, no matter what happens, once you get bitten with that bug, yep. once you go to that first open mic, or for me, when once I went, when we first started singing on stage and I was like, hear the response of the girls when they were singing, you know, like, yeah. once you get bitten with that bug, it doesn't really matter. You just got to figure out a way to do it. Exactly. You know? Yeah, that bug is something else because it's like, you know, you don't know that thrill. And, and that also makes or breaks you, I mean, I feel like in comedy in general, when you go up and if you can eat shit and keep and just feel like, I still want to do this. That's where the magic happens because Bro. then you're, you know, this is something that you're going to be able to stick with. Well, like you told your eat shit story. Mm-hmm. My eat shit story was at the belly room in the comedy store. Oh God. I hear it so was many a of week. Those. It was a week <laughs> after the election of uh-huh. 2016. Right. And I said, I'm a wow. I'm with all this Trump shit. <laughs> Woo! When they say comedy is about timing. <laughs> You do not tell some Trump jokes to some angry fucking people. Right. Everybody was still, you know, it was still so raw and so. Yeah. You know, I mean, now I know the jokes are probably kill. Sure. A lot of the jokes are probably kill right now right, because right. everybody's used to this stupid motherfucker. Yeah. But back then. Whew. Yeah. The crickets. It was tough. And it was the first time because I, I was on like. You know, like you, like you get the, you, you feel like you're on this meteoric rise because you, you, you're not, you're not, oh, I'm not bombing at all. I'm not bombing at all. And then that one time you bomb, you're like, <laughs> you're still human, homie. <laughs> you can still. <laughs> still human. Like, yeah. but when you learn from it, cause I learned, you know, like first, the first lesson of, of comedy is timing is everything. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. No matter what you're saying, it could be funny at that moment and yeah. sometimes it could be very oh, <laughs> irritating at that moment for people who are listening because you just never know and and each time that you learn every time you eat shit mm-hmm. it's kind of it makes you a better comic like you were saying LA and getting down to LA made you a better comic but I'm now interested since there was this whole like you have this mortgage 
and, and this whole like business professional life that you have that yeah you so you went from your childhood because I was reading that you were raised by your grandmother I was man um yeah where'd you read that on your on your IMDb box. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Yo okay. homie, I do my research on everybody. <laughs> Just so you know, guys, I'm gonna ask you stuff about stuff. When I read it on, a, I'm gonna do a little Google search on you first. There you go. And I'm gonna because I want to know about you. That's yeah. part of the reason why I have you on the show because you you have a very interesting story. You're yeah. gonna you're on Laugh After Dark right now. Yes. So you're 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 you're. AAPI Asian Excellence, right? I mean, right now you are, right? For the viewers that don't know, what does that stand for? That a- a- Asian American Pacific Islander Excellence. Nice. Right? So what's, what's, what's your background? Uh, I am Cambodian. Cambodian. Yeah. See, you are the first Cambodian on Crazy Funny Asians. Boom. Hashtag that. Pioneer. Tra- trailblazer. <laughs> Hashtag Cambodian comedian. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's really cool because you know, I, really, I really dig your comedy. And I feel like a lot of your perspective comes from how you, you were raised. Yeah. Like, what, how does your grandmother feel about you doing stand-up? So, yeah, it was... Um, She's so old now, so it's hard for her to understand what it really is. Sure, you know? sure. So she's this old Cambodian woman. She doesn't really know. I mean, she knows to say yes and no, right? In mm-hmm. English, that's it. Sure. You know, so and me, I'm like speaking broken Cambodian because I've lived without her for so long because I've grown up with her. And mm-hmm. a little backstory on my grandma. Like, we, yeah. she raised me since I was a kid. Like, my parents, it's a crazy story. She, she, my parents left me at, like, my grandma's, like, doorstep and, like, rang the doorbell and, like, dipped. Like, they literally ding-dong ditched out of my life. You know what I mean? Crazy. So, yeah. So, my grandma opened the door. She took me in. She called my dad and stuff. And I don't know the whole backstory, but pretty much left me to raise, be raised by my grandma. Um, and so, since I was, like, one. and What? Yeah, she's my mom and dad. You know? Yeah, for real. So like, I love since her. you were one, you, I mean, you don't even really have any memory of your yeah. parents. Like, my mom, I have no idea where she is. Um, my dad, like, I guess he's like this, I don't know. I don't really don't talk to him or see him. I've, I've communicated with him like via telephone and stuff. Sure. Um, but we don't really talk or anything like that. But my grandma was always been there. She, she raised me. And so growing up, she would always, I, she would, she wouldn't know that that's not what you do as a parent. She would let me watch these, like these crazy, like Eddie Murphy, you know, comedy tapes, these, you know, Chappelle and like they're cussing, they're doing all this shit. Sure. But, but she, part of it was she didn't even have a, a, a understanding of what, no. what was going on on the screen. No. So it wouldn't have met, it wouldn't have mattered. Not at all. Not at all. Like she wow. had no idea that this was like bad language. Like yeah. I'm like watching it like, whoa. Like, so, so when did, when, when was the first time you saw it? Like, like what, what, which, which special flipped your script? Oh man. There was... So many. I would say probably Eddie Murphy, probably Delirious. Me too. When, when I saw that, um, I only asked you that because I knew what she was going to say. Because I mean, because it's well, the same with me. Delirious really flipped my. As an eight-year-old, ten-year-old kid, that was like a that, bro. Uh, that, that was so influential on my life. It it almost in a way because it, it, if you don't, when you're a kid, you're just soaking this stuff in. Even the Bill Cosby. I mean, mm-hmm. I know. He, no man, like, <laughs> look, I I love that we. I want to talk about this because like the, the duality of our heroes, right? right, right, Of our childhood heroes is very, it's very hard to deal with, especially as older, as you get older, like with Bill Cosby, man, like I grew up, I have a tattoo of the the cartoon character of my sketch character, right? (laughs) Like part of the reason why I have that is because Fat Albert was such a big influence on my life. Homie did, homie did all those 
all those voices for every one of those characters, Fat right? Albert, bro. That was Cosby, right? <laughs> brown Hornet with the black superhero. Like, he was the first brown superhero I saw. Yeah. Right? Like, so Cosby was a huge... The Cosby Show. Man, okay. Hmm. My kid was born... My, my first daughter was born before all the controversy started, like, really going public. Right. There was always, like, underground rumblings, but when it really started hitting the, the, the media, the mainstream, mm-hmm. my daughter wasn't born yet. So when my daughter was born, right, I was posting hashtag Cosby dad oh. on my baby stuff because I wanted to be a dad like the dad I saw on the Cosby show. Right. So it was... All these things, like even with Robin, like we talk about Robin so much on this podcast, but like what happened to him at the end of his, you know, and how he went out and like suicide and how hard that is. And like, Mm. like all these different things of these heroes, like Louis C.K. We talked about it with Theo on episode two where, you know, we're both Asian dudes. And, you know, that, that underground thing where he, he released and he was those kind of cheap jokes about small Asian penises was like. I was like, man, I, I idolize you, homie, and, and now you're doing cheap Asian jokes about me? It I, sucks. The, the thing I feel, the way I feel about those types of jokes, and even what shaped my comedy career, too, is that it's like, if you're going to do those jokes, like, at least make them clever or unique. And Listen, not- I do a small Asian dick joke, right? right. It's, my first, it's my first top joke. Sure. Right? But I, I feel like, well, I, I'm not, we, we don't have to necessarily get into, the, like, the writings of the jokes, but... Right. But there has to be something more than just just the, just the joke, right? Then just right? Saying, I feel like there has to be something behind the right. joke. Like, there's a layer. Don't don't just do it for shock value, right? Get get if there's layers behind that to where you unpeel it and unpeel it, and then it becomes this like this funny you know material. I love that. Yeah, make no, a funny joke about Asian penises, but give me something right substance. I you mean, know? like. In my case, like, I compared, like, I'm like, wait, well, I opened up with the dick joke because Eddie opened up with the dick joke, and his dick joke's a big dick joke, and my dick, jo- my dick joke's a small dick joke, so it's kind of like a, a balance of yeah. dick, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that, but for me, that, I think, is a more clever dick joke than just saying, hey, Asian guys have small penises. Right. But I'm not even mad at that. I mean, I am, to a certain degree, that it's cheap, and, you know, I've admired him so much for his, his writing. Right. But I'm more mad at, like, other comics. Who are like when we clap back or say something back and be like, yo, this isn't it. Or, hey, you got a chubby belly and you might have not that big of a dick either. So you need to chill out. Like, or, you know, just, you know, just defend ourselves. It's seen as something different. And I feel like that's even like I've been this morning. We were talking about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and how they depicted Bruce Lee in it. Yeah. Uh, have you have, have were you able to see it yet at all? Not yet. I want so, to though. Yeah, I kind of. I'm I'm interested to see it now, and by the time this airs, we'll probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it, it, it's it's cool because we talk about um, the idea of the Asian man in Hollywood a lot and Asian masculinity a lot here, and I think in comedy, it's especially interesting yeah. to me because there's we as an as asian american comics hold a different responsibility i think than even just asian american actors yeah it's almost like you know there's a gap and i know it's two opposite sides yeah right i mean the art is is totally different you know now that i'm like you know going out for these roles and like reading for these shows 
as a comic, because you're so, like, if you start out in stand-up comedy, you're so ingrained in who you are. Mm-hmm. Like, it's you, regardless sure. of wh- whoever it is. You, you go on stage because you're building this, like, brand of yourself. Right, right, right. And so when you're reading for these other these scripts for these shows and these producers, and you're, like, you're trying to fit into their vision, you know, I was just talking to my friend Willie about this, is that we... You you can't fit something so unique into someone else's vision, and I know it's weird to say, but they already have you know a specific thing. And you're the art on the acting side is like, you know, you're trying to morph into that character, right? Whereas stand up, you're just your character, and you're trying to fit into what they want, but it's like you can't because you're so who you are. Sure, because that's what stand up does. It makes you who you are more than. I agree 100%, but yes. for me, since my journey was different because I was an actor mm. from the beginning. Like, I started, I was a professional actor. I've been on, my first professional play was in 1997. Shit. So, you know, like, I've been on the big, like, Good Man, <laughs> Steppenwolf, the Ford Theater. Damn. Like, yeah, no, I, I, like, I've done, like, uh, some some good shit. I'm learning right? so much about you. <laughs> no, I mean I'm like I'm SAG. I done movies. My first scene in movies was with Forrest Whitaker. I like, just became SAG too. Because I see you on the commercials, bro. <laughs> no, but but part of that I, I find it so interesting because our our careers are so different. Yeah. In that you just jumped on stand up you stand up stage because you wanted to try it and to, be funny. Right. Whereas I, in a lot of ways, have recreated my acting career mm. but the, the the important part of it is that we were both influenced by the same thing and that is delirious for me because like delirious made you want to be funny right it intrigued you and made you kind of like oh i, I want to do this right you didn't maybe didn't even know when you were you, know. when you were a kid i didn't either right right but now it was funny because i watched i rewatched delirious a few months ago before we started doing this podcast mm-hmm. And I watched it in the context now of me being a stand-up comedian. Right. Right. After years and years and years of telling the story of how I used to listen to this delirious on my headphones because my dad only let me watch it once and I recorded it on my boombox and, you know, the whole thing. Right. And I realized as I'm watching Eddie now as a comic writer, a stand-up comic and a performer, and I'm watching him and he's telling stories. And he's jumping in and out of characters mm-hmm. in the same way that I jump in and out of characters in my stand-up comedy. Now, am I comparing myself to Eddie Murphy in no way, shape, or form? No. <laughs> right, right. But that influence and that, like, for me, I was lucky because I wouldn't have been able to do it like Eddie. And I say it all the time because Eddie was doing that shit when he was 18. Right. As a natural. Natural. I had to do it and I got trained to do it. Right. From the theatrical. Like, I would we talk about being on stage and, and stage presence right. a lot with stand-up comedy. And people talk about, how, how come you're so calm on stage, Eric? And I'm like, mm-hmm. because I've been on stage for 20 years. Right. It's different for me. Yeah. You know, whereas I admire you so much now even more, the fact that you've never been on stage up until you started doing comedy three years ago. And your, your presence is incredible. Right. Like, you're so calm on stage. And, and, yeah. and, 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 and Almost to where, like, you calm your audience down too. Like every time I've seen you, your your audience, your you you your, <laughs> the audience is really they're into you. Is what I mean. Like they 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 they're really into you, and I think that's part of your delivery. It's part of right. your the way that you carry yourself on stage. It's really cool. I think 
because it, it stems a lot from you know more so than Eddie Murphy uh, Cosby because mm-hmm. he was so warm mm-hmm. and I watched him a lot and so now that I think about it you know Cosby would would always be that 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 safe space for people even with uh, thousands of people in the audience mm-hmm. he's like he goes and he's just warm and he just talks and I think that's what inspired me to. One, I'm not loud in, in, in any case, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of it has to do with when you're in L.A. and when I moved down, I would do so many mics and it humbles you. And I think it really made me stronger because I go to these coffee shops. I go. I was going maybe two, three times a night when I first moved down for a year straight. You know, you write a goal of how many mics you want to do. And it helps because you get that muscle of silence. I used to say on stage, like... Um, when I would when I would bomb, I'd, I'd be like, "Man, you can like hear the silence, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, which is a no, weird you thing." You can, right? you can. So it, I went it, to a lot of concerts, so for me, it's ear, my ears <laughs> ring. So, <laughs> so it's just funny because it builds you, and, and I know if you do those enough, and then finally to where you can, if you do a real show and you get maybe ten people in the audience or whatever it is, you can you can you know. Get, get their attention without having to be loud, without having to, you know, uh, the normal zany type of guys. Sure. And then you can reel them in and then you can deliver and try to build your, your, your set on top of them. But, yeah, I think it helped a lot. It's just, you know, one, being inspired by Cosby and, and two, just, just eating shit in, in, in quiet places and being able to adapt and use your surroundings and try to make it funny. I think that's what helps a lot, especially even just, you know... Whatever it is, um, stand-up, auditions, you know, improv, it, it helps a lot, you know? All of it does. Yeah. I mean, well, I think part of it, and I think as you get more into the game of, like, the auditioning, because I see you already, man. You're already you're booking <laughs> stuff already, which is great. Yeah. That's inc- – it, it's the, – the, the quickness of your rise is, reminds me of the beginning of my career. Mm. Like, cause I was booking shit like, Ooh. right, right, right. Because you're this new face. Mm-hmm. You look different than everybody else. Right. You know? And it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's yeah. a great thing. And the part, and the, and the fact now that you are stand up comedy was al- allowed you to discover acting yes. in the, in the exact opposite way where acting was what allowed me to discover stand up comedy. It, it, it's a weird, you cool, know what's funny about that? Yeah. I, I started stand-up because I'm like, man, I really want to transition to acting. So I was using it just as a, as a stepping stool. No, right? I feel you. And I, in the process, I fell in love with it. Yeah. And, you know, because you meet your cool people, friends that are in the journey with you. Yeah. And it's like a camaraderie. And so it's crazy. Like, yeah, I'm still all for it. Like, I, I, I enjoy reading and, and going in the room for these producers, whatever it is. Sure. But I, like, nothing beats stand-up. See, and, 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 and that's where we converge, Yeah. right? I love, like you, you can't take away any of the theatrical experience, good and bad, right, that, right, I, right. that I've had. I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it. And yes, I started doing stand-up to bring more attention to the fact that I've been acting for a long time, right? right? Almost in the way that Robin, like, because Robin's a big influence on me, because Robin started out at Juilliard with Christopher Reeve. Oh, shit. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, that's okay. how that's how Robin and Robin was a theatrical actor for a long time, and then as he started blowing up as an actor, he started jumping into the stand-up comedy at the San Francisco stages because he could just, you know, people would just happen. He, um, <laughs> like uh, in episode three, uh, Kevin Han Yi, um, he tells a story about how 
Robin used to just come in in the 80s and just jump in on the set in the San Francisco comedy clubs and just improvise with folks. That's crazy. Right? Yeah. And and he he got to improvise with Robin. Go back to episode 3 if you want Crazy Funny Asians, Calvin Han Yee, An Actor's Life. You should listen to it. Such a good story. And he talks about how he improvised with Robin. Mm. Right? And it is one of those things where every single time one of us does something cool, it's like the, the motto of the, the podcast, right? Tell your story, tell our story. Sure, yeah. And like when I saw that you were on Laugh After Dark, I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's what's up. <laughs> you know, no, because because you, you represented in, in season two, you're basically... Are you the you're you're one of the only Asians on the on the thing? Um, I believe, yeah, I think I am, man. Yeah, yeah, I think I am. I mean, and, and that's no knock on. I mean, it, shout out to Laugh After Dark for even having even one Asian on because most of the those streaming shows don't even have even but one. Right. Right. And right. some either it's all Asian or none. Sure. <laughs> sure. I mean that. How do you? How does that? How how do you find that? It, 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 how do you, how have you? found that as far as because I book my own shows now yeah I'm, I'm at a point now where I'm I'm not to say that I don't want to do other people's shows yeah but I'm getting to a point where I'm really enjoying doing this monthly show with the karaoke thing and we trying to book more shows at the brew yard and I'm like trying to make brew yard be this right. spot and it's starting to become that spot and For I'm real? not I'm not trying to <laughs> I don't know, man. I, it's it's weird. It's weird. It's like, what what, do you, what would you rather do? Would you rather be a big fish in a in a small pond or a, a small or a, a small fish in a big pond? You know, I, like I don't. I, I, but but part of it is, I look at these other comic lineups, and like I said, it's either all Asian or one Asian or none. Right. And how how does that how do you feel about those things like have you found that in your in your comedy or are you, are you are you just you get booked a lot i am it's it's a weird mix right now you know as far as to answer your first question like i i'm very happy that that asian people are people are starting to see like the talent that that we have mm-hmm. you know and you know growing up for me as a kid because i am cambodian so it was always I was always in this like weird bubble of like I don't really fit in even with Asian people. Oh yeah, no, because f- being Filipino in Chicago is I I I, I could liken that experience yeah. because because we are from a smaller country, so there weren't many of us growing up. Right, right, right. And I would always get mistaken for Filipino sometimes. Oh sure, I, not, not even sometimes, all the time. <laughs> I, I mistake you for Filipino right. for some. <laughs> right, I was right. No, but then I, I knew from your last name that you weren't. Right, right, right. That I knew you were. I other you know some other South Asian. Right. So it was, um, for me, I'm happy about it because especially, like, I'm a big, big fan of, of uh, Aquafina. Um, oh, she is she's amazing. killing it, right? So, Did you see Farewell yet? Not yet. I will. I want to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see that, too. Um, you know, she's, ever since I saw her, she had, like, this rap. I was a fan from back then when she had this video of she's rapping mm-hmm. about my badge. Yeah. And it was, like, she was so funny. She it, it, Her it voice is, there's something about her raspy voice, yeah. too, the way that... Just the sound of it, it's yeah. like there's such a good quality to her voice. Yeah. Soothing almost. And I love that she is in every project right now because the reason why I love it is because I think she's a great example of what, you know, Asian people are about. The, the way 
she's she's a comedian she's just an entertainer and she she's her own character and she just it's just it's just dope how like raw she is yo I, I almost feel like she encapsulates the Asian American Hollywood experience right because in a lot of ways you have to bring something to the table like an Aquafina-esque type comedy brand, right? Like she was her own character, like you said. Yeah. You know, and then she was able to insert that character into Hollywood. Yeah. And now she ain't playing Aquafina anymore. <laughs> right, right, right. Farewell is a serious, like really cool like drama. Like, yeah. Drama but dramedy, like it's still she's still using her comedy skills, but and I I was listening to a fresh air episode uh, of the director of Farewell. And I can't, I, her name escapes me right now, but she was talking about, cause she's, she also wrote the script because yeah. it was about an actual true life experience about how they, how they hid, how the fact that their mother or their grandmother had terminal cancer mm. and the family had to hide the story of that because she want, they didn't want her to be scared. So they, it was a totally, so they visited her in China and it was like to say goodbye, the farewell, but it was really just a, like a, a ruse yeah. to fool her. It was, they just went there for a wedding, but it was really to say goodbye to the grandma. And that's a really cool story. Absolutely. That's far from, you know, being the comic relief in the all-female Oceans 13 or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Right. She's come a long way. And, and I think that's the hustle. You have to be everything. You got to be that five-tooled player if you want to be in this game and you want to last in this game in Hollywood. Because as Asian Americans, they're not going to write our story for us. No. They're no. not. They're just not. They're not going to write a specifically Cambodian story for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's, but it's one of those things where I'm at that point now where I'm not waiting anymore. Mm-hmm. That's what this podcast is about. That's what stand-up is about like I, I i take that term stand-up literally yeah like because stand-up has in a lot of ways allowed me to stand up for myself as a as a performer as an actor as a filipino american as everything because it's allowed me to voice my anger about hollywood in a way where it's digestible and not sure you know i'm not trying to be angry <laughs> yeah, you know but at the same time if you you listen to my comedy, you know that most of that shit is about representation matters. Right. Right. This this podcast is about telling our stories and putting out these special stories. Yo, your your story is crazy. The idea that your parents left you on your grandma's doorstep yeah. and now you're doing national commercials and you're streaming on Laugh After Dark on Amazon. Right. Doing stand up. Right. It's pretty special. That's a pretty crazy and special story. And then the idea that you're also got two kids. And you're raising two kids and you're juggling all of that. Because yes. I know how that is, man. That's part of like oh my most God. of what we talk about when we're, when we're just talking, when we're not at the show, when we're at the show and we're just, is our kids because that's our first priority. It's, it's totally, you know, and a lot of this has to do with one happiness, right? Because you can't keep moving forward if you're not happy. So th- this is just, that's, this makes me happy. And this is why I do it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's people, you know, play soccer, you know, people have hobbies. They go and, and, you know, play Magic Gathering, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, whatever this, it is. This is mine. And it, it's starting to turn into, you know, something. And I don't know what it is, but it's turning into something, you know. Yeah. And so I love it. Yeah. And, you know, with balancing with the kids, it's like it's a lot harder than people think. But 
I live by the motto, there's always a way. People think, oh, it's impossible. How are you going to move to L.A.? How are you going to get someone to pay Figure it out. Figure it out. Yeah. Figure it out. Like, get a plan. Figure it out. Like, there's nothing that I feel like any of us can't do. It's just that we, we just stop and we just mentally shut it down and we're like, no, I can't do it. You know? And, and it, it, it really is when you look back on all of this, like, you look at our experience of the people that raised us. Like, yeah. Yeah, if your grandma could handle, dude, she woke up. I, I remember. Uh, this is it sucks because I used to skip school a lot when elementary days and even middle school days. You know, I was a bad kid. I would. She wake yeah, up. You were. Yes. So okay, enough of yes. that. Eric throwing low key. Uh, no, no, so, wait, wait, no, Tubby, you were a bad kid, Tubby. That's no, awesome. okay. So this is what I would do. Like, she would leave at five a.m. because she had to go to the fields and like pick. Uh, wheat or you know whatever. she worked in the fields she worked in the fields so a van would come this is how she made money she wasn't you know she didn't have any you know, yo skills. wow so 5am she'd get up I would see her get up every day um, five days a week go to this field and and pick uh, these wheats or whatever it is and made like you know that's how she made money and she support, supported me yeah so I remember when she would leave, I can just literally uh, skip school. Like the neighbor, she paid the neighbor like a weekly fee to pick me up and drop me off at school. Man. So they would come to my door. It was a ghetto ass neighborhood, 39th Hargrave Street, Fall River, Massachusetts. This is where I was living. It was very ghetto. They come, they knock on the window, they'd be like, and I just tell them yes or no if I wanted to go to school. <laughs> and so I'd wave, no, not today. And then they'll just go and don't care. And they don't tell my grandma. No, why would they? No, because they want to keep keep, keep doing the money. Yeah. yeah. So I would get these phone calls from the school. My grandma didn't speak English. Right. So I would answer and be like, "Hello," <laughs> and they'd be like, "Yes, uh, we just let you know that Daniel did not come to school today." And I'd be like, "Oh, okay. I I will let her know. Thank you." And then hang up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> You were like, you were like ghetto Ferris Bueller. Bro, I would would order like uh, Happy Garden uh, Chinese food down the street. They'd bring me my barbecue pork. I'd watch like Stuart Little that would order on cable. And I would just go to town. And you were spending your grandma's field money. Uh, She would leave me money, yeah. Yeah. For lunch, yeah. And that was my, that was, I was, yeah, it was bad. Wow. It was bad. And, um. But you ended up here. I think that's what shaped me, you know, that, yeah. that, that Chinese pork, you know, that <laughs> it, it definitely, you know, shaped my career. <laughs> Yo, I mean, that red dye might have done something, yeah. you know, you never know. There's MSG. I mean, it's delicious. Yeah. And we used to go, I, I used to do that in Chicago. They do this barbecue pork plate. Oh, yeah. Where they do, they drizzle the, the rice with, with soy sauce. <laughs> right. And then they, and then they put barbecue pork and then they topped it with a fried egg. Yeah. I love the fried egg. Oh. I never, I actually wait. Oh, I never had it with the barbecue pork. Oh, oh, you breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that bitch. Oh, Oh my my God. God. Seven treasures. Seven treasures in Chicago. I know it's still open. It's open 24 hours a day. Oh, see, we got to go to Chicago. Okay. We're going to do a crazy funny agent show in Chicago. Boom. And headliners, Eric Esteban and Danny Plum. Look (laughs) at that. I already know. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) I'm saying. No, but listen, man. I want you to tell them again one more time yeah. where they can see you on Amazon Prime because I just give them the the specifics and then also you know just tell them where they can find you because this story has been crazy yeah and funny and Asian <laughs> but it's also been really cool I mean, it's really good to get to know you and and to yeah. actually um, 
hear your story because like you I say this a lot on the thing but we're more more than just IMDB lines yeah right we're more than just a bio on a thing and and it's it's so cool like I I had mad respect for you before but now the idea that when you know where somebody comes from right and what they had to deal with sure and now where they're at and you see the journey in full scope it's it's a really incredible thing to see and I think that's what I'm trying to get at every time I invite somebody else here is to be able to show their full journey. And I think, yeah, I think this is awesome because, uh, I've done a lot of podcasts before, mm-hmm. but this was a, kind of like a real, um, deep dive into kind of like my background, you know, people don't know about my grandma, but it's cool. Cause you know, now they can kind of see a little bit of kind of like where I'm from and yeah. And hopefully, you know, uh, enjoy the, the 10 minute special on laugh after dark, man. On Amazon. Yeah, Prime. man. La- <laughs> well, I mean, Amazon prime laugh after dark. You're on episode what? Episode uh, five, episode five with my episode homie, uh, Kayla Crawford, who's hilarious. Kayla Crawford is the bomb. Yes. She is hilarious. Yes, I love I'm, Kayla Crawford. I am so glad she, and she's up and coming too. She's so funny. Um, and she's, She's uh, on the first half of the episode, so there's two comics per episode, and Kayla was first, and then I'm next after her, uh, but definitely watch Kayla's too, because she's hilarious. <laughs> See? So please support Asian American comedy by supporting Asian American comics, and also support Asian American podcasts by supporting me and sharing this on your Facebook Instagram, wherever you can. Follow us on Instagram, Crazy Funny Asians with a Z. Follow my man Danny Plums uh, at Plum Plums. Yep, right? Plums Plums, P L O M S P L U M S. Oh, Plums Plums. Yeah, you get that? You pick it up. See, I got that. I, you like, <laughs> do you like plums? Are you, are you well, a plum eater? No, but my last name was Plum, and it, it, I get called Plum all the time okay. in high school. So, like, it just, I feel like it was funny. And how old are you now? I am 30. 30. See, I'm 44, so I'm a lot older than you are. Yeah. Right. So know that later on, there will be a lot of plums <laughs> in your future. It's good for you, man. It's good for digestion. It's oh, good really? For, yeah. No, it's good. It's good. It's oh, a, nice. You keep your regular, the plums. That's why all those old guys, they eat plums. Wow. Plums and prunes, because plums are just, prunes are just dried plums. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. All right. <laughs> that was a tongue twister. <laughs> but it's true. I, I eat prunes a lot because, you know, I try to keep regular. I hear prunes. I hear prunes gives yeah, you that. That's just dried plums. What? Yeah, dude. Mine is blown right now. See? Can we end on that? Yeah. Jesus that, Christ. That, that's, that's how it is, man. <laughs> I just blew your mind. You did. I don't even know how to... I'm speechless. See? You don't only get crazy funny Asian stories here. You get scientific facts about what happens when you dehydrate food. Oh. Plums become prunes. So follow my boy at Plums Plums and me at Miscellaneous Brown and follow this podcast at Crazy Funny Asians. And we love y'all for listening and sticking <laughs> and staying and watching us babble about plums. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Peace.